0: continue on in our trek through Romans. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Genesis 17, and then we'll be in Romans 4. Genesis 17, um, and we'll read the first uh, seven verses. This is the word of the Lord. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will sta- I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Now let's turn to Romans chapter 4. And we've been talking about or seeing how God justifies by grace alone through faith in Christ and using Paul's using Abraham as that quintessential example of that. So in chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there's no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it's written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So he didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it is counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. Again, we praise you for your precious word. For... This particular epistle to the Romans and I pray Lord God that you would be with all of us that you would be with me to give help me to bring your word forth. It's such a daunting and impossible task apart from your spirit. So I do pray for the spirit Lord to be upon me as bring forth your precious word and to be with all of us Lord God to receive your word to have a better understanding of who we are in Christ and what we believe and then how we ought to live in light of that fact. So Lord, please bless this to your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Again, the whole context of chapter 4 that Paul's getting to is the defense of justification by faith alone. And he's using Abraham's life to show us that point, that God does justify us, not by works, not by anything we do, not by trying to keep the law, trying to be good, trying to do this, trying to do that, but by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. He does all the work for us. He even gives us the faith and repentance with which to repent with and believe with. Amen. And praise God. So we stand in awe of our Lord. Uh, last week, we saw that 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 whole idea stated in, in verse 13, and then we saw Paul arguing for justification by faith alone in verses 14 through 16. Now, the rest of this chapter, or almost to the end of this ch- chapter, um, Paul illustrates how lives are impacted when true faith takes hold. And I say true faith takes hold. Actual, authentic, regenerating faith that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit when that takes place in in a person's heart, you see that faith worked out in action and in their life. And Abraham is an example of that, of the grace of God working out in his life. It's amazing to see. Isn't it amazing to see when you see the Holy Spirit get a hold of a person and just change them? They might have knowledge of God, they might be in church, they might, you know, even for years and years, but when the Holy Spirit gets you, and you know, I know several of you in this congregation where I've seen that, man. I'm looking at you and, and just, he just grabs you and that's it it's it changes everything in your life you start living for the lord and you're in his word and 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 that transformation takes place that's that true justifying faith and abraham's life illustrates the faith that justifies and then the life that justifies that faith you know what i'm saying that we're justified and that's we're justified by grace through faith in christ And then that shows up in our lives. It's not that we just say it and then we continue the way we always have or we're, you know, we're kind of warm on the Lord for a little bit, then then we cool off. No, we're we're transformed. There's no going back once he truly changes you, once he truly converts you. There's ups and downs in the Christian life, but there's no going back. Amen? Praise God for that. And that's an illustration of the faith. And we believe God. We believe the Word of God. Whereas before, we didn't really believe. We weren't really sure. And we still might struggle with some doubt here and there. But we believe the Word of God. And we know that we know who he is. He's revealed himself to us. That's why. So that's what's going on here in this section as he's justified by faith, that justification that his, his life justifies that faith. Faith without works is dead, James says. It's going to show up in our lives. We're, we're not who we used to be. His work in our lives does show up. So don't lose sight of this as we're going through this this morning because um, I don't want Abraham to be the star of the show here. You know, it's about Abraham's faith, how great his faith is, how wonderful he was. Abraham was like us. He's a sinner saved by grace, used by God. The focus for Paul and for us is on God all the time. We're going to talk a lot about Abraham, but it is God who is behind that faith, and he's the one who's magnified, not man, but God. So this whole section is about God's sovereignty And man's response to God's sovereignty. So it's, you know, God's sovereignty and our responsibility in light of that sovereignty. Listen, he he sovereignly saves. What you see here is our response to his sovereignty. And so in verse 13, he says, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God. I'm sorry, in uh, verse 17, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. The sovereignty of God gives life to the dead. That's impossible with us. Now, there might be the allusion, allusion here to Abraham unable to produce. You know, Sarah, they they were barren through those many, many years. They're, they're in their old age now. There's an allusion to that. But even more, in considering the greater context of being justified by faith alone, there's no doubt that Paul was speaking to... God who gives eternal life, that He raises those who are dead spiritually. He calls into existence the things that are, that are not. So we see the power of God, the sovereignty of God, and the glory of God behind all of this. We learn several things about saving faith and what that looks like. First of all, it's sovereignly granted. The sovereignly granted faith of the believer is rooted in the promise Character, nature, and word of God. That's what it's rooted in. Look what God said as he made his covenant with Abraham. He says, I have made you a father of many nations. We read that in Genesis chapter 17 when when he says, For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from You so already we see God's sovereign hand because He's He's already saying, "Look, I have already; it's already done. I have made you." Now this was before Abraham went out; it's before everything was really taking place. But God's already speaking in the past tense. He says, "I have made you." It's determined; it's decreed sovereignly. This is what you are. You're going to be the father of many nations. You already are that in my decree, my plan. Now it's going to be worked out. So we already have the already and the not yet. It's already. As good as done, and yet it's being fulfilled as time goes on. So it's sovereignly granted by the Father, by his word. And that comes through faith in Christ. And that saving faith goes beyond mere knowledge about God. Abraham He trusted him. He believed in him. We can only believe in him as we know him, as he makes himself known to us. It goes beyond mere knowledge about God, about knowing the facts about God. People know. You could tell people about facts, the facts about God and about the gospel all day long, right? And you should be. You should be telling them about Christ and what we believe and why we believe and so on and so forth. And people could get that. They could understand the facts. And more than that, they can even assent to the facts and say, "You know what? That's true. I could, you know, I don't disbelieve that. I, I can understand that. How one man came to save the world. And you know, we have many people that will assent even to to those facts. But that's as far as human ingenuity, human knowledge, human logic will take us, right? You could, you could kind of believe the story. You could, you can kind of assent to the facts, but true." True belief. This is where the sovereign grace of God comes in. Apart from God's grace, apart from the Spirit, this, you can't get to this next place. And that's true faith, authentic, regenerating faith. That's from God. That brings us to the place of completely entrusting ourselves to Christ, true repentance, genuine faith, which acknowledges the change that he has made in our hearts. That last one, you can, you can say, okay, I know the facts about God. You could say, you know what? I I can even believe that. I can see that happening. But apart from God's grace, you can't really trust in Christ and place your trust in him. That's when he grabs you by faith. That's what he did to Abraham. That's what justified Abraham. He gives life to the dead. Powerful, effective work of regeneration in his heart. And then that faith shows up. Look at Abraham's life. And even what we have here before us, that faith shows up in our lives. Right? That's a big deal. I don't care how much you say you believe. There are a lot of people that say they believe in Christ. Oh, I was raised in a Christian home. I've always known Jesus. I walked the aisle when I was three years old. I'm kind of, you know, I raised my... Please. That faith, true, authentic faith shows up. You're not the same person. You're not who you were before Christ. You're a new creation in Him. And that That comes through in your life, in your attitude. It shows up in your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Obviously, you believe him, you obey him, you look to him for all things. It shows up as your desire, your worldview, your entire outlook, your entire perspective on life and death and eternity changes, doesn't it? You have a Christian worldview now. Before Christ, you didn't. You might have had a mix of certain things, but now... You have a worldview based on the bible right that 's what that 's what that 's what we have in christ that 's where faith shows up in our lives that faith shows up is because we, when we want to conform our lives to his will, what do you say? What do you command for me, Lord Jesus Christ? What do I need to do for you? What do you call me to what 's my attitude to be? my actions to be in life? We look for those things we search for those things in the scripture. we want to conform our lives to his will. His will is found in his word right this is this is as Christians, here's what we're called to do. Here's how we're called to live. And we seek to do that by the power of his spirit. We want to think his thoughts after him. That's why we're in the word. That's why we want to know him. This is all evidence of that change. We're followers of Jesus Christ now. We're willing to leave everything else behind, just like Abraham did. He left everything behind to follow his God, we want to put on the mind of Christ. Amen? Don't you want that? Don't you want that? Don't you love? If you do, then you could be sure that you're in Christ. That regeneration has taken place in your heart. As faith shows up, as we live our lives before the face of God. And that means just with integrity, in a way that's unashamed. And when we do sin, we bring it before the Lord, right? You can confess our sins. We own it, and we're convicted by it. And then we're restored by the Lord. But we live our lives before the face of God with integrity, unashamed, and willing. It shows up as the Lord receives his rightful place in our lives. If you're in Jesus Christ, he's everything to you. hes It doesn't matter. Let, every, let God be true and every other person a liar. If Christ says this is so and the rest of the world says it's not so, guess what? It is so. And that's where we're going to go and that's where we're going to be. Amen? That's the hope that we have in our lives, that he receives his rightful place in our lives. And that is first, before all else, before ourselves, our hopes, our dreams, our expectations, Christ is all and in all for us. Man, that's what's going on. That's the, the, the heartbeat of this passage, what's going on there. Saving faith acknowledges God's omnipotence and it assumes his transcendent wisdom. Verse 18, look, in hope he believed against hope. That's faith, man, that he should become the father of many nations. As it's told, you so shall your offspring be. There's the promise of God, and this is what's going to happen. He's already decreed to be the father of many nations and that's going to play out and it has playing out it's playing out today every time a person's being saved like right now right now right now it's being played out because people are coming to christ are being regenerated by him so he acknowledges his omnipotence he's all-powerful it assumes his transcendent wisdom faith so very often most of the time true saving faith and what we're called living by faith goes against conventional wisdom, it just does. It goes against the world's wisdom, popular opinion, societal norms... Natural assumptions that people have, things taken for granted by the unbelieving world. That's why we're like a fish out of water as Christians living in this world. And we just kind of, there, there used to be a t-shirt back in the 80s days or 90s days. Remember it had all those fish going one way and then one fish going the opposite way. Do you remember that t-shirt? Anybody? No? <laughs> Is it just me? I have one person who remembers it. Cause that's what it's like for us as we're, as we're seeking to obey. It's the way of the Lord as opposed to the way of the world. And that takes great faith. As we consider Abraham's situation, God promises <laughs> didn't seem probable or possible, right? Here's this nomad just traveling along, and now he's going to be called to be the father of many nations. Here's this old man, and he's told that he's, he's, going, to, he's going to have a child. How's that, how's that going to happen? So he says, in hope, he believed against hope. And that's the idea where, where something seems impossible seems so implausible, right? Believing God's promises when everyone else doesn't believe it's It's believing God more than more than others, more than yourself and more than your circumstances that God is truly sovereign, and we believe that because we understand. He is transcendent, his transcendence. We understand his sovereignty over all things. The Lord is the earth and everything in it. The Lord has decreed all things. See, unbelievers don't get that. That's the difference. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. We know that things do not happen by blind chance. But God has a purpose and a plan, and it's unfolding, and that's what he's saying, and that's Abraham's hope and his God. Hope against hope, listen to this, is rooted in the promise of the word and purpose of God. And it's not blind. It's not this. That's why all things are possible for God, right? We see God's sovereign hand behind all of this. And that's why he gets the glory. Abraham believed God. Listen to this. Abraham believed God because it was God's purpose for him to believe and to become the spiritual father of all who would believe in Christ, right? It's God's purpose for that. He called Abraham out. He made the promise. He made the covenant with Abraham. He calls you. He changes our heart, and we follow him. So, so even in Acts 16, 14, it's God's purpose and plan. It says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. She knew about God. She had the facts about God. She could probably assent to those facts about God, but she didn't have them in his heart. Remember that third? That's the the work of the Spirit. That's sovereignly. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and thereby was converted. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the regeneration. Philippians 1.29, we're told it has been granted. It has been given to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. So we believe in him by faith which is granted to us as a gift. So So he purposed that he would believe and that he would become the father of many nations. If you trust in Jesus Christ today, then the promise that God made to Abraham applies to you in right now, right? So uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, 26 and 29. We just had it. Oh, I'm sorry, it is Galatians. Did I say Ephesians? (laughs) It's Galatians. (laughs) For in Christ Jesus, my bad. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. It goes right back to this covenant. It goes from Genesis throughout the Old Testament. We see it here in Romans. We see it in Galatians. We see that being fulfilled. For the true believer, and listen to this, the true believer, like when he says hope against hope, for the true believer, hope is not, what's hope for so many people? You're kind of hoping, you're wishing, you're like, you know, it's hope is not some fervent wish, you know. I'm just hoping that this will happen, you know. I'm trusting and and kind of, you know, an an uncertain optimism maybe, you know, that it could be the case, a, a definite maybe, my fingers are crossed. That's not the biblical picture of hope. That's not what he says when he says hope against hope in that way. Biblically, hope... Is the certain anticipation of what God has promised and guaranteed by His Word? That's what it is. It's we. It's we know that it's going to happen. There's not a there's no doubt about it. And the reason for that because it's rooted in His sure and unchanging nature and character. These are the covenant promises of God, and He binds Himself to it. That's why He says, "In hope, He believed against hope that He should become the father of many nations, as He'd been told. So your offspring." Will be, right? So he didn't weaken in his faith. In verse nineteen, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Okay, um, and this is where faith and believing. And God's transcendent majesty, in his sovereignty, that he's able to do all things, gets put to the test. Because this seems hard to believe, even if you're a Christian. You know, think of a 90-year-old or 100-year-old person and, you know, try conceiving in that way. For unbelievers, now you need to understand this because the world in which you're going out to, for unbelievers, this is downright foolishness. This is where, like, you're talking to your unbelieving friends and family members, something like this. People are going to look at it and say, See, this is why I can't believe in your God. Everybody knows that a 90-something-year-old man and an 80-year-old or late, early 90-year-old woman cannot have a child. They can't produce a child. Come on now. right? Go say this to your neighbors. in That's the reaction that you're going to get. To the world, it seems foolish. To us, it's not, because we know our God. God gives life to the dead. He calls into existence the things that are not. So much, listen, so much of what we believe as Christians, I would argue almost everything that we believe as Christians, eventually is going to be foolishness to unbelievers because they have a foolish heart. They don't have a heart that's in enmity with God. We, you know, you understand that? So it's not just like the, the kind of miraculous that's, or the miraculous that's happening here. So much of what we believe seems foolish to a God-hating world. And I do want to prepare you for that. You know this already, but the intensity is being turned up. The heat is being turned on, on us. When we were kind of more majority as, as kind of a Christian type of ethos, it was a little different. But now you're not in that now the, the the big guns are out and they're out for all of us so whether it's in the workplace whether it's in school university home in the culture the broad culture entertainment culture it they are coming for us in this way there's a lot of challenges to the christian faith some are very sophisticated arguments but all of them fail in the end so this is this is, l- listen it's lots of what we believe is rejected by it seems foolish to the world if you believe in a literal six-day 24-hour creation and even if it's not literal six-day if you just believe that god created the world as opposed to evolution guess what you're looked upon as foolish ignorant stupid and dumb okay <laughs> and you don't deserve to live <laughs> well it's coming coming to that in that way All right? So it's not just the miracles, but think about the miracles. Oh, we know that miracles are, imp- they were just foolish people back then that didn't know any better, and so they were just, you know, those, you know, we, we know the laws of nature. We know uniformity, right? The sun rises, you know, in the east, as, as it were, gravity holds, seasons change, everything is uniform in that way. We come back and say, as Christians, yeah, these things are because of God. He's the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. He created all things. He upholds all things. We have the Hebrew passage. Did I give that one to you? He upholds all things. He's the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature upholds all the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why do you think that things are the way that they are? If it's just mere chance, if it's just the randomness going on, then maybe the sun won't rise in the east or in the west. Maybe it won't rise at all. We don't know because everything's just wild. Well. There's no control over it. Where do you think the laws of nature come from? If you're a naturalist, you can't say that there's anything steady or stable. Where does that come from if there's just randomness all around us? See, it's, it's the... It's that very stability. It's the very fact that gravity holds. It's the very fact that seasons change. We get that from the Lord. He promises that in His word. He is the the giver of the laws of nature and the sustainer of the laws of nature. And He has the prerogative and the power to bend those as He will. And it just shows that He's God. That's how we explain miracles. And that's the truth. Right? Unbelievers, you know, the big things are how can this man produce a child? They'll go to even things like the fall of mankind. The whole concept of sin right now in the unbelieving world is is kind of explained away how. It's being psychoanalyzed to death. And psychology and psychological explanations for bad behavior. That's where bad behavior comes from because of your environment. That's where bad behavior comes from because there's something going on that's not psychologically right. We need to work this out in this certain way. Sin is out of the question so it's not just the big things like like the miracles it's it's even the fall of mankind into sin and and actually they're redefining bad behavior and calling bad behavior good and you know good behavior bad in different ways, but that's that's for another time so so believing in something like the binary uh oh, one man, one woman, that marriages between one man and one woman is increasingly looked upon as foolish, silly, inane, insensitive, and dangerous. you see? Unbelievers, and get this down, do not simply reject the miraculous. Oh, how can this old man have, if that wasn't there, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't, because your heart needs to be changed. They reject just about everything that the Bible teaches in regards to God. So, don't be fooled and don't let them get away with that. They're just taking, that's just low hanging fruit, like the miracles, right? They'll pick that off. But when you start talking about sin, they're going to say no. When you start talking about God's order, his created order, they'll say they're going to reject down the line because they're at enmity with God. So, understand that. Unbelievers simply, they don't simply reject the miraculous. They reject just about it, and so do progressives and liberals. So, if you hear progressives in churches talking about, well, maybe you can have this. Here's what God meant when He was talking about, you know, side B homosexuality. You can kind of just once you see progressives doing that, that's just liberalism with a Christian kind of uh, veneer over that. So, don't buy that. For Abraham and for us, that is faith. He was not weakened in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God. For us, it is not a blind leap. It's the sufficiency of Scripture and trust in His Word. It's knowing God's character and the clear evidence that he gives. Again, it's not a blind faith that we have. Yes, we do believe. Do we have every single answer to every single question? No. But he gives us good evidence that makes sense as you really think about it. So even when you think about something like creation versus evolution, sit down one time and really talk about the implications of that because God does give good evidence for it. We talked about that in Romans chapter 1. But, we, but think about it. One believes, you know, both believe something came from nothing. But how does that happen? The materialists have their answer. We have ours. Now, where does life come from? Order from chaos. Life from non-life. Which one is it? Morality from non-morality. Which is it? Where are There's great evidence for it. So it's not just a blind leap. It's based on his promise, based on his word, and he does provide evidence. Even right here, when he talks about the, the promise, the covenant that he made with him, why he was going to bear that son. That son was Isaac. Who's Isaac? He's in the line of Christ. Right, That's the genealogy of Christ. That's where our Savior descended from, humanly speaking. And the fact that Abraham is the spiritual father of us all, which is the fact today, that was a promise made long ago, it holds to this very day. Now, we don't deny the reality and the situation, and some things seem impossible, but we know our God is the God of the impossible. He does. He makes the impossible possible. Right? We don't deny the reality. Abram knew he was beyond childbearing years in Genesis chapter 17, 17. When Abraham fell on his face, he laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? So, so, shall Sarah, who's 90 years old? Okay, 90, not late eighties, nineties, early nineties, bear, uh, child. And so, right, you know, that's our initial reaction, sure, even as believers, yet his focus is on God's promise, and on God's power, and he does not waver from that. It's, it's on God's word, on his promise, on his power, and not on our own weaknesses. Understand? That's a big deal. And note this, and understand this, this is a deep, deep level faith that Abraham shows towards God, because it's not, in this situation, it's not that Abraham was saying, or it's not, it's not if he's saying, look, I want something so, so badly. I want a son so badly. And if I just demonstrate enough faith, if I just pray hard enough, if I just look to the Lord, if I just believe enough, then God will give it to me. It's not like that here. That deep level faith is this. It was God's purpose to give him a son in seemingly impossible circumstances. And Abraham believed God in those circumstances. And he believed God more than he believed himself more than he believed nature, more than he believed in the biology. Why? Because all these things belong to God. He belongs to God, nature belongs to God, biology belongs to God, science belongs to God, and he knew his God. That's where his faith shows up. That's where it comes from. This shows that he is God, that God is able to do that. Here's the promise that I'm making. It seems impossible. Looking at it from the outside, looking in, yeah, it probably is, but I am God. And so that brings honor and glory to God. We don't turn that around and make it like a shameful thing. Oh, see how silly that is. No, it shows the power of God. So faith is this in some ways. When you trust him for his will to be done in your life. Here's my situation. Here are my circumstances. What does he require of me? In this situation and in those circumstances, in terms of my attitude, in terms of my obedience, in terms of my action. That's what faith is. It's not dwelling and just saying, I mean, it doesn't mean we can't pray for the things that we desire. But look, here's the situation. God is sovereign over the situation in his providence. This is where we find ourselves. What's my response in faith to the Lord? And that means, what does he require of me? He required Abraham to believe him. Abraham believed, did not doubt, did not waver in his faith. God said it, that's right, and I believe it. Here's my circumstance. I'm not going to get bitter against God. My attitude is to continue to trust in him, continue to look to him. Come what may. This is what I need to do in order to be faithful. Understand? That's really what faith is in, in those circumstances. Abraham demonstrates that for us. Truly converted, people are going to continue to trust in the Lord and look to him. Saving faith simply refuses to accommodate unbelief. Look at twenty twenty one. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. He gave God the glory, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. It refuses to accommodate unbelief. And this is where that fight comes in. And this is where Satan wants to get us because so often when things don't go our way, when things get difficult, when... when things are seemingly or or actually unfair in a certain situation, what do we want to do? We want to turn away from God in that way. Saving faith refuses to accommodate unbelief. That word waver actually means to be divided in one's mind. You can't be divided in one's mind, in your mind, when it comes to the Lord. You're all for him or you're against him. You're with him or you're not, right? It means uncertain. And when we're uncertain in that way, we're, that shows that we're kind of doubting God and His word and His promise. The God who loved us, the God who saved us, the God we look back on, how He's worked in our lives, the God who, who worked in history, we see His faithfulness. And, and, and when we're uncertain in that way, we're, we're saying, well, I don't know, I, I kind of doubt. It means to go back and forth. Yeah, I believe, I don't believe. I believe, I don't. No. This faith that Abraham, brings forth, instead of wavering, clings to God's word, which brings God all the glory. Faith grows, not only as we believe, but as we exercise that faith. And that's what Abraham was doing. It seems impossible, seemingly, but here's what God's word says. I I understand his sovereignty. I understand his omnipotence. I understand uh, his his decree and plan to, to that extent, and I'm trusting in him. This is where he has me. I'm going to be faithful right where I'm at, and I'm not going to lose my faith because sometimes it is a test from the Lord, and he'll put you in that situation, and you're going to know if you're truly following him or not because he makes it tough on us. The Christian life is not a breeze. The Christian life is filled. It's filled every single day with pit, pitfalls and potholes and temptations and difficulties and circumstances that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy at times. And are we going to be faithful in the midst of that? Are we going to continue to trust the Lord at that time and in those circumstances? Faith grows, not only as we believe, but as we exercise it. That's what he's doing here, the faith that was given to him by God. And that's what true regenerating faith does in our lives that's the power of god in us to be faithful in those circumstances when you'd be tempted to walk away to 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 stay true when you're when you're doubting in 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 some ways that's a faith that comes from him but we need to practice that faith we need to really believe do you really believe in the lord that he's able to do what he says that his promises are true that is that he's true to his covenant despite what it looks like Despite the circumstances before us. See, that's where faith. It'd be so easy if everything just went our way. It's easy to believe like that. But when things are really bad, <laughs> when things are tough, when things are hard, and you still believe, that's where faith comes in. It right? doesn't mean we can't get down, doesn't mean we don't struggle. We'll see that, Paul, as we come to Romans 7 and so forth. But, but that faith, that ground level faith is always there. Being fully convinced. There's two things. It shows and it grows your faith at the same time. He was fully convinced. That showed his faith. And being fully convinced, your faith is going to grow because you really believe God and you're going to do what he says. You're going to want to obey him. Our faith's not like a switch, man. You can't turn it on and off. It needs to be exercised. It's like a muscle, right? I know you've heard that. You need to exercise it. It's either strong or it's weak. And the more we look to the Lord our faith is strengthened. The more that we believe his word, especially when it seems unbelievable, untenable, unplausible, is when our faith truly grows. We don't fall back into that old pattern. Listen, man, there are far too many, far too many who profess faith in Christ, but their faith is not settled. Abraham's faith was settled, right? He is my God. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to believe. We see it throughout Scripture. We see it with Moses. We see it with Noah. We see it with the apostles. We see it throughout Scripture. David, so on. Every true believer has that faith. But there are too many who profess faith that are unsettled. When things go sideways on you, when life doesn't work out, when disappointments come, when persecutions come, when your feelings overtake you, when we follow our feelings, and, you know, this is, I know what God's word says, but I feel this way, that's the worst thing you could ever do in your life, man, because when you're following your feelings, you're falling away from God, and, and I know that they feel good, right, or they feel right, and they feel this is the way it should be, but when it violates the word of God, you're walking away from your faith in Christ. Understand? That's a big, big deal. And we're living in an age and a day where everybody's going with their, I feel this way, I feel that way. This is this is what really moves me. This is where, you know, really um makes me feel alive, and so on and so forth. We follow our feelings. We follow our feelings. When they don't line up with the word of God, you're walking away from your faith and then people end up they walk with an unanswered prayer how many times do you people say I prayed to God for this I prayed to God for this and he didn't answer my prayer so I'm not following God anymore All right? we, we hear these things that's not a true faith That's that's how we distinguish that's how we know we're seeing so much of this today. So many people—it's called deconstructing their faith. If you younger people, or need to be aware of that because that's going on, and that leads to the progressive Christianity. But but deconstructing their faith—you know, talk to Lecrae. I don't know some of the popular young Christian, whatever professing Christian YouTubers—they're kind of walking away from their faith, and they're renouncing, and they're denying their faith, and they're going to the worldly ways. They're not enduring in that. It's the exact opposite of what's happening here in our text today. True, saving faith, like Abraham, never stops believing, never stops trusting, never stops obeying. Do we struggle? Yes. Is it difficult at times? Yes. Is it hard? Do we almost want to stop? Yes. But we do not because he will not let us. That's not the nature of true, saving faith that comes from him. That's the faith that Abraham demonstrated because God is working in him. God gets the glory. God gets the honor. Abraham was doing that, not to earn, but because he had been given grace and faith with which to believe. True faith never walks away, even when me, even when we don't fully understand, right? Because he has us. So faith, justifying faith, saves us. It does justify us. It shows up in our lives, right? It shows up. People can see it in you, and it stays. It endures. It grows. Throughout our lives. That's what's happening here as he believed God in this impossible situation because it was God's purpose and God's will. That's the faith that we have. That's the faith that you have in you right now if you're in Jesus Christ. You understand that? Nothing special about Abraham. It's all about the Lord. Are we believing that? Are we trusting in the Lord? Are you being faithful to Him? Not bitter, not resentful. Not hating, not on the edge of leaving because you're in a hard situation, but loving him even more and trusting him even more and understanding this is his providence for you at this time and how am I going to be faithful in this situation to glorify him?